أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا مولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وضرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد وعن سهل بن سعد رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن في الجنة بابا يقال له الريان يدخل منه الصائمون يوم القيامة لا يدخل أحد غيرهم يقال أين الصائمون فيقولون لا يدخل منه أحد غيرهم غيرهم عفوا فإذا دخلوا أغلق فلا يدخل منه أحد متفق عليه سيدنا سعد بن سهل السعدي رضي الله تعالى عنه narrates from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that indeed there is a gate of Jannah uh, which is called Ar-Rayyan. And uh, the people who used to fast, uh, as they were commanded by Allah Ta'ala, uh, on the Day of Judgment, uh, they will enter from that gate and nobody will be allowed to enter other than them. Uh, it will be said, meaning the angels will cry out, where are the people who fasted? And uh, they will then say, nobody will enter this gate other than them. And uh, once they've all entered, it will be locked and nobody else other than them will be allowed to enter. Uh, if you remember from over a month ago, we read a hadith uh, in which the mention of Rayyan was made and uh, the mention of the other gates of Jannah were made, that the gates will be reserved. The hadith uh, uh, that was read, I think not the last dars, but the dars before it, uh, by uh, narrated by Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu that uh, uh, there will be a gate for the people who made good on their salat and there will be a gate for the people who uh, went out uh, for jihad in the path of Allah ta'ala and there will be a gate for the people who fasted and unlike the other gates the name of the gate is given it's Rayyan and uh, uh, there will be a gate for the people who gave sadaqah and so how many total are these? So Salat, uh, Jihad, Siyam, and Sadaqah. So there's four. That means we have four uh, gates left. Ibn Allan mentions uh, uh, that uh, uh, that there are three other gates that are mentioned uh, in narration by... Uh, 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 Anyway, he'll give the takhrid to the narrations later, but he said there are four gates that are uh, left to be mentioned. And then he mentions them as being the Bab of the Kathimin al Ghayv, the gate of the ones who were able to swallow their anger. When they're filled with anger and moved to act on that anger, they were the ones who were able to just restrain themselves and just not, not do it. This is what, what it means to swallow anger. It means that when you're angry, and it would move a normal person in order to act on that anger. It's completely justified, but still a person swallows that anger. This is what it means to be a kalim al-ghayv. Wal-afina an nas And that also included in there is the people who forgave. That forgave one another. So what do we have? We have... The gate of Salat, and then we have the gate of Jihad fi Sabilillah, the gate of fasting, and the gate of uh, 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 Sadaqah. And here, Sadaqah, the meaning of Sadaqah by the Siyak of, of what's mentioned, it means uh, uh, um, means Zakat. Right? The, the expression for Zakat used in the Quran is Sadaqah. Sadaqah is a general term, it has a, uh, a particular meaning and a general meaning. General meaning is any. Uh, uh, Act of charity and the uh, particular meaning is uh, the particular meaning is the the obligatory charity that Allah Ta'ala made uh, or imposed on the ummah, which is zakat. And uh, um, so that afina anin nas, the one who used to forgive people, and then finally it's uh, um, narrated that the last. Uh, Gate, and here Ayman can mean being spatially on the right side. It can also mean the the one that is 
أكثر بركة right okay. the right the 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 yameen is ascribed to Allah subhanahu wa taala and then the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he mentions and wakilta yadehi yameen which means what either it can mean some sort of freakish like logical contradiction mirror universe type of weirdness uh, but the reason that that or the reason that's given by the commentators is what is that the yameen is like the yasar right your right hand is like your left hand most normal people except for there's some things you can do with your right hand that you can't do as well with your left so one of the meanings of yameen is is baraka right that's why human is like a like considered a good good omen they will, they'll call it a human and there's like a number of reasons for that uh, so the yameen so this could mean amen amen it could mean spatially on the right side or it could mean the the gate of the most baraka is uh, 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 the gate that's reserved for those people. Uh, 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 it's reserved for those people who are the mutawakkilin um, that don't have to give any adab. There's a hadith in uh, Sahih Bukhari, the hadith of Sabaka Kabiha Ukasha, that this gate is mentioned, that there will be a certain number of people that the Prophet mentioned, and they'll have certain sifat, they'll have certain uh, characteristics that uh, uh, they were they never like sought any amulets from anybody uh, 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 nor did they ever take a bad omen meaning when they were going to do something for the sake of Allah Ta'ala they didn't care what was happening around them uh, they just did what was right because it was what's right uh, and they're described as being the ones who trust in Allah Ta'ala and everything that they do that those people there Hisab will be forgiven on the uh, day of judgment, that they don't even have to give account, and so there'll be uh, the the eighth gate that's that's mentioned in the in the athar is uh, is that one, and Allah Allah Taala knows best. But these are those things that only the masters of hadith, uh, the masters of hadith, will be able to sew these things together because you have to look through a disparate number of uh, different narrations, and Allah Allah Taala knows best. At any rate. The name of the gate for the people who fast, Rayyan, and it's unique amongst the other gates of Jannah in that it's named. The rest of them are, a name isn't mentioned to my knowledge. Uh, and the name is mentioned again, and it's mentioned isn't, it's again and again, and it's in several different hadith, and it's not omitted. And the meaning of Rayyan is the Diddul Atshan, right? That the Atshan uh, uh, is who is the one who is thirsty. Atash means thirst. And so Rayyan is the one who's not thirsty, that their thirst has been slaked. And so uh, it's named because the person who enters from that gate, they'll never suffer thirst again. Uh, and then they'll never suffer hunger again, uh, which was what they did for the sake of Allah Ta'ala through their fast. This brings us to an important point, which is what? Which is that the Akhirah and the dunya are like two co-wives. If a person sucks up to one of them too much, the other one's going to get upset. If you suck up to one of them too much in front of the other, the other one's going to get upset. Say, oh, look, honey, look what I bought for like whatever. And like, you know, this ring and I got it made. And the more you describe the mahasan of the ring, the more she's just going to be like off put, right? This is not like me being like red pill alt bro. This is actually a hadith attributed to the Prophet ﷺ that they're like two wives who make one of them happy, the other one is going to be upset. And it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very intense metaphor because anyone who's gotten yelled at by their spouse before knows that this is something different or difficult to, to, to endure. Perhaps if a woman says, well, I don't know what it would be like or whatever. Or says, well, if you told your husband, hey, there's this other dude, imagine how, what murderous rage he'll go into, at least would have gone into in one uh, 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 time in the past in our human history. At any rate, the point is, is this, it's not going to be, it's not, you, you do make one happy, you're not, the other one's not going to be happy. You have to balance them out of necessity, but they're not, you know, one is not going to be happy with the other. This idea, this dreamland that we have somehow we're going to be like big uh, Instagram influencers and drive nice cars and have nice houses and eat nice food and everything and our deen will never suffer uh, because we're wonderful. It doesn't really work that way. You have to, there's some point of the test is that you have to show a lot that you're choosing one or you're choosing the other and your ability to sustain those choices uh, is intimately connected with what the outcome will be on the day of judgment and what your rank will be either from the 
people of Jannah or Wal'iyadu Billah, Allah Ta'ala spare us all the people of the hellfire. So the idea is this, is that the person who is Atshan in the dunya will be Rayyan in the Akhirah. The person who is Rayyan in the dunya will be Atshan in the Akhirah. It works that way. I'm sorry, I can't sugarcoat and like tell you that it's always going to be okay. You have to sacrifice from somewhere. It doesn't mean all the time you have to be completely like starving to death in this world. But at least during Ramadan, you're going to be a little bit hungry. You're going to be a little bit thirsty. There's no real way around. There's no way of sugarcoating that. It's going to happen. Deal with it. The person who wants to be Atshan on that side, that person can say, look, I can't deal with this fast. To hell with it. I'm just going to eat and drink whatever I want to eat and whatever I want to drink. And the person who cannot deal with being Atshan, with being thirsty on that day, that person will say, well, you know, I have to, you know, cut this out. I have to cut that out. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, by Allah's fadl, because we grew up over here and we fasted in like, you know, public school. People eating and drinking around us doesn't really phase us anymore. Whereas in the Muslim world, it's like considered like a big, a big like offense or whatever. And I could see why that is or how, how they would come to that conclusion. But it, it, for whatever reason, we became completely accustomed to it. The point is you have to choose one or the other and it's not just in fasting, it's in all sorts of things. Like if a person sees in a dream that I went to the marketplace or to my job or whatever and I made a whole bunch of money. Oftentimes, you know, in the absence of other like other other things that should be considered, uh, this means what? That the person is earning a lot of thawab with Allah Ta'ala. And if a person sees that they're going to the masjid and they're praying a lot in a dream, oftentimes it means what? It means that they're going to make a lot of money. Why is that? Because the ruh, the way the ruh sees it, just like people are like, yo, bro, that's all nice and stuff, but like we have to live in the real world. We have to live practical and this and that, right? To the ruh, the, the akhirah is what's the real world and what's practical. Just like to the body, the body is going to say, you know, the nafs, which is the part of the ruh, which is kind of connected more to the body, uh, it's going to say, well, if you don't feed me, I'm going to die. The same thing is what happens with the ruh. If you don't feed the ruh, it's going to die. So the food of the ruh is all of these things like, you know, like worship and silence and hunger and whatever, right? Uh, Resensitization of the senses, etc., etc., by de deprivation. It's important that a person just like deal with that and make friends with that idea and know that you're not going to have it both ways and then find their place right okay if i'm not going to be like super you know i'm not going to be like team super taqwa or whatever and like be able to fly so high all the time you know i'm just going to end up burning myself out then find where you fit in in that you know somewhere above just saying la ilaha illallah and like to hell with it inshallah Allah will forgive me which is should be like you know you're really not a muslim if you can't even muster that much uh, and then on the other hand I'm going to do everything like 100% super max all the time because you can't do everything 100% super max all the time. Like a person who tries to sprint the entire way in a marathon, it just doesn't work. You'll kill yourself and you won't get anywhere either. So you have to find out how, how it is that you, you want to pace yourself and, and fit in. But this idea, this is a snake oil that people have sold us. It's like prosperity gospel of like Protestant religion, which we don't follow that somehow or another you're, you're, uh, you know, being a good person is going to mean that you're going to have a lot of money all the time and everyone's going to love you and this and that. It doesn't really work that way. It doesn't really work that way. In fact, it's through the sacrifices that we make and difficulties that we go through that we show Allah Ta'ala uh, love and we show Him some sort of sincerity and we grow as people and it doesn't harm you. It doesn't hurt you. MashaAllah, there's all sorts of like videos in YouTube. So Kafirs will tell you about how fasting like you know, makes you a healthier person and all this other stuff, that's fine. You can go watch those and benefit from them uh, as well. But it's a side benefit. It's not why we do any of those things. When Sayyidina Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qala qala Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ma min abdin yasumu yawman fi sabilillahi illa ba'adallahu bithalika al-yawma or bithalika al-yawmi afwan wajhahu anil nari sabi'ina kharifan muttafaqun alayhi it's a, Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu He narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said that there is no slave who fasts a day in the path of Allah ta'ala except for Allah ta'ala will that day decree that uh, the distance between his face and between the fire of hell uh, should be that of 70, uh, 70 falls uh, and it's hadith narrated both by 
Bukhari and Muslim. Uh, so there's a couple of things. What does it, 70 falls mean? 70 falls means 70 years because you're going to pass fall, the season, 70 times. Counting a, a, a year by Kharif is a very Arab thing. So don't make fun of Karen for wanting pumpkin spice lattes. It's what? It's part of your Aruba. It's part of your Arabness. It's part of your Arabness to count years by what? By the Kharif. Why? Because the Kharif, as everybody who's lived in the Badia knows, even this humble Paki, right? They know that the Kharif is the best season of the year. If you've lived in a tent in the desert, you know that the Kharif is what? The best season of the year. It's when plants will flower and will send their seeds out. It's when the rains come. It's when the, the, the deadest of earth comes alive. Uh, it is when it's not so cold that you're, you know, it's like hitting your bones and you're going to become sick. And it's not so hot that, uh, that it's burning you. And uh, unfortunately, because we're not exposed to the elements anymore, we lose a lot of that. We lose a lot of our humanity uh, because the body is meant to go through all of those things as well. And uh, um, yeah, the heat is really hot, but that doesn't mean that those that very short winter in the Badia still might not kill you. In fact, it might kill you. If you get sick during that short amount of time when it gets really cold and the wind, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, freezes you to the inside, even though temperature-wise it may not be, uh, it might not be as cold as Chicago or whatever, uh, you know that that's also something that's, you know, it's really scary, right? So the Kharif is like a, a beautiful time. So it's just a figure of speech of the Arabs to count years by, uh, 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 by the fall. Uh, and it has nothing to do with trick-or-treating and Halloween like, uh, you know, the people of little faith have made it into. But there's also like, if you recall going trick-or-treating as a, ch a child, not that any of us do that because haram, right? But like, it is good weather. The weather is always nice on Halloween, even though trick-or-treating is completely haram, mashallah. A little, a little note, by the way, because it's what? It's September 11th. Oh my goodness, mashallah. <laughs> Not about it being September 11th in particular, but because Halloween is around the corner, inshallah, instead of having like a big Halloween, you know, at the party at the masjid, which just ends up being like bobbing for apples with the witch, you know, has the abaya on, but with no pointy hat, I guess. Um... Replace it with, with, the, with the two Eids. If any of the children are maftoon by trick-or-treating or by parties or whatever, you know, buy them off. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, buy them off. Get them something better than like the whatever like Tootsie Roll that they're going to get from their cheap neighbors. You know, just buy them a couple of candy bars and say, hey, look, you know, we don't worship the devil. If you want candy, I'll get you all the candy you want. But I, I'm saying this right now. I loved Halloween. I loved Halloween. It was my, it was like my favorite out of all of these bakwas holidays they have, right? That we have. It's our home. We belong to it, right? I'm not saying that just in order to be like, oh, look, you know, like, prove how American I'm or whatever. Like, I'm American as a fact. It's not something that like I take pride in or I'm ashamed of either way, right? It's just a fact. We were born here. We were raised here. Out of all these bakwas holidays, it was my favorite, right? Because Christmas and Easter, that's like just out and out kufr anyway, right? And Valentine's Day, for whatever reason, I was too ashamed to, like, you know, do anything in front of my parents or whatever, right? So Halloween is, like, nice. There's candy. What could be haram about that? You get to dress. You get to do all these things. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, this is pretty sure the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, wouldn't have been into it. So just buy the children off with candy and say, hey, look, we don't worship the devil. You want to do something fun, we'll do it, inshallah. Uh, there's nothing anybody ever gave up for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, except for Allah gave them something better. Allah Ta'ala gave this ummah everything. Allah Ta'ala gave something better. Uh, and so, you know, but then if you're going to like say Halloween is haram and then not, not recompense them for their loss and you're going to like go to work on Eid, then that's your bad. That's not, that's not something you can blame on Islam. Uh, so the, 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 the kharif, note about kharif. The second thing is fasting the fi sabilillah, what does it mean? So Ibn Allah, he says, قِيلَ الْمُرَادُ بِهِ الْجِهَادُ لِلْكُفَّارِ وَقِيلَ الْمُرَادُ بِهِ مِنْهُ طَاعَةُ اللَّهِ I'm inclined to the second reason. Although usually, I, you know, I'll say that like, because this is a sickness of the age we live in, oftentimes people will act like 
going out in jihad in the path of Allah, fighting the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an act of worship is like not really part of our deen, whereas it is. Um, again, within certain parameters, you can't do it on your own, you know, it has to be this, has to be, there's, we've made those disclaimers like a million times in the past, it doesn't include like blowing up, you know, innocent people or civilians in their places of worship or whatever nonsense, disgusting things people do, uh, you know, and then uh, get tacked on Islam uh, uh, later on. But uh, I'm inclined here to see that it's not that. Why? Because if you're out in an army and fighting the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the companions were the Allah who used to break their fasts. Uh, and it's to break your fast while you're traveling anyway is a, a rukhsa, it is a dispensation of the sharia. Uh, the position of the Malikis and the Hanafis is that if you're able to fast while traveling, it's not, it's not something that's going to really put you out of uh, commission. It's better to fast. Whereas the Athiri Madahib say, no, it's actually better to take the Ruhsa and make it up later. And, uh, uh, but in this case, if the point of going out is some sort of physical exertion in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which fighting oftentimes entails, um, it's actually better you'll receive more reward for not fasting. That being said, that being said, so many times in the history of Islam, those people who had to go out with their wealth and their life in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fasted in the path of Allah Ta'ala because of the rigors and the difficulties that were entailed in the fact that they had nothing to eat anyway. So many people kept fast. Why? Because they would go out in the path of Allah Ta'ala and they're not like, you know, there's no like food rations or supply chains that are being delivered to them. This is one of the things Shaykh uh, uh, Allama Khalid Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Shaykh means uh, uh, Shaykh, uh, one of his mashaykh, I should say, he mentioned, um, which is really a, a really interesting interesting point uh, which is that the athar of the the athar of the prophet وسلم, and the aslaf in general they document in like a with a type of granularity of detail like every aspect of life in a way that other people might find like inane nowhere is it documented ever that there was any sort of supply chain for food for feeding people when the armies went out to different to Uhud or to Badr or to um, Tabuk or any of these things. And so the supply chains of an army like it's a really it's a really important and critical calculation for how war happens and how it occurs. And none of that's there. And in fact, like you know, one of the common practices until I guess the French Revolution or so, is that what would happen is armies would go out to places and they would basically just seize from the local land that they're in, whatever it was. So if it's a friendly land, they would have the right to take food and ration and quarter uh, from the locals, which was actually an issue in America, right? Like one of the reasons that the revolution happened is people were sick of British soldiers quartering in uh, colonist houses. Or if it was an enemy land, they would just take stuff as a, uh, just as considered a normal act of war. In what is documented from the Aslaf is that this is one of the reasons that Sayyidina Umar who would explicitly not allow the army to enter cities. And why they would particularly have encampments that were at some distance from any sort of settlements. Where a city can be built and sustained, but there was no city there from before, or there was almost no inhabitants there from before. Why? Because it would force them to have to figure out how to take care of things on their own and how to buy and sell. And as a civilizational benefit, they didn't mix with people. Rather, wherever they would go, they would start a new city that was based purely on, on the values that were taught to them by the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But what it indicates is what? Is that yujahiduna bi'amwalihim anfusihim means literally like bi'amwalihim anfusihim. They would take food from home. They would prepare their own food from home and take it with them when they would go out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So imagine a person is not going to like have like some sort of like hi-fi like logistical like McKinsey consulting level like logistical arrangements for something like that. So people used to, uh, people used to run out of stuff. And uh, that happens, you know, sometimes when you want to do what's, what's right and what's good by the Lord, uh, you know, Allah Ta'ala will test in, in, in uh, many ways that people might find severe. So this is possible also, this is one of the meanings of the, of the hadith, 
despite the fiqh, which is that if you're going to go out in the path of Allah Ta'ala, it involves physical exertion, a person should eat so that they can obtain whatever objective it is that they went out for. Uh, and Allah Ta'ala knows best. And the uh, 70 years saying that it will, it will put, place distance between a person and between the hellfire. Um, 70 years, meaning the, the distance of 70 years uh, of journey. Uh, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, knows best. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من قال من صام رمضان إيمانا واحتسابا غفر له ما تقدم من ذنبه متفق عليه. سيدنا أبو هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه narrates what is itself a hadith and it's also narrated as a part of a larger hadith that Abu Hurairah رضي الله تعالى عنه said that narrates from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that whoever fasts the month of Ramadan in faith in Allah تعالى and hope for reward that person uh, as a reward will have all of their sins that came from before uh, forgiven. And there is a, uh, a narration in Nasa'i and uh, of Imam Ahmad عنهم, and others that uh, as well. That it includes those sins that came from before and the, those sins that will come afterward as well. That it will be a reason for a, a general amnesty and forgiveness for, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, does not does not obviate the need to fulfill people's rights. So if you borrow money from somebody, you still have to pay them back. That's not a sin, that's just a right. And so there are certain, what you know, mavalim or dhulm is, is what it has has to do with people's rights and it has to do with the sin at the same time. Perhaps the sin, the sin part might be forgiven. Although in general, we say that all of these expressions of God's forgiveness have to do with major sins uh, that a person should repent from them. But even then in the books of Aqidah, it's written very explicitly that even if a person doesn't repent, Allah Ta'ala may forgive from them a sin as opposed to kufr. Uh, however, this has nothing to do with rights. This is something very important to remember. It doesn't matter how how uh, Mubarak a person's burial was. It doesn't matter if like a bird did some spin dance and they made a big circle and you saw the angels come down from the heavens and they sang and they're buried next to the awliya or they're buried next to the sulaha or the salihin or the you know anbiya or the Prophet himself. Uh, if you owe somebody $5, you owe them $5. It's not going to be forgiven until that person forgives it or until it's fulfilled. If you fulfill it in this world, you're a happy person. If you don't fulfill it in this world, uh, it's going to cost a lot more than $5. Uh, and people should never forget that. People should never forget that. There may be some people or haters that don't really have much concern or regard for the angels or the awliya or the salihin or even the Prophet I'm not one of them. The Rasulullah himself made sure to make this very clear to everybody in the Ummah that it's not going to be, you, you know, none of that stuff is going to matter if you still owe people something. At any rate, This has not to do with rights of other people, but it has to do with sins. That in a narration, uh, the act of fasting uh, Ramadan and faith in Allah Ta'ala and hope for reward from Him will garner a person the forgiveness of that which came before and in a narration the forgiveness of that which came before and that which came after and Ahmad, Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala he was a faqih people say that there is da'if narrations in his musnad and uh, nafsi, this is a whole thing about the whole kind of uh, um, peanut gallery that the takhrij of hadith has turned into in this modern age that a hadith may be, may be weak uh, there are other uh, narrations that, that strengthen it. And only a person who's a hafiz of hadith, not a person who's sitting on Maktaba Shamila looking up chains, sing, single chains one at another, only a hafiz of hadith will know that. That which uh, hadiths are uh, corroborated by which ones because they it, corroboration can happen with two hadiths that are uh, of similar, same wording, but they can also happen from hadiths that are of wildly different wordings but similar meanings. Uh, so we'll leave, that, uh, we'll leave that to the side. But on top of that, on top of that, uh, Imam Ahmad has one very big quality which Nasai doesn't have, even though both of them have great rank in the intellectual history of the Ummah, which is that he's a faqih. So he's not going to bring a hadith that's completely batil, both in its narration and in its meaning. Uh, and the Musnad, the, 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 musnad the, the hadith that are narrated, should be taken seriously, if not for any other reason than for that reason that the narration of a faqih, ironically, according to Hanafi and Maliki Usul, the narration of a faqih is stronger than the narration of someone who's not a faqih. Uh, 
وعنه رضي الله تعالى عنه يعني أبا هريرة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا جاء رمضان فتحت أو فتحت أبواب الجنة وغلقت أبواب النار وصفدت الشياطين متفق عليه that is narrated also from him رضي الله تعالى عنه both in Bukhari and Muslim that when Ramadan approaches or when Ramadan comes the gates of Jannah are opened and the uh, gates of the hellfire are closed that they're 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 locked up and uh, the shayateen are chained uh, what is this is this some sort of like lord of the rings uh, uh, you know story about something happening in some other land and you know that we'll never see that we're like oh that's cool but like irrelevant to us no Rather, the opening of the gates of Jannah itself is a reason for the nashar or barakah in the creation. And the locking of the gates of the hellfire is a reason for uh, uh, um, the protection of the creation from harms. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that dhuhr, it's mustahab to delay dhuhr, which we kind of miss. I don't, I don't see many masajid in America do that actually. Uh, the dhuhr should be delayed why? jahannam. That the, 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 the harshness of the uh, of, of of heat in the day is like a blast of air from the hellfire. That that's not a time that people should be out and about. This is one of the reasons the fuqaha mentioned that if you're at home you can pray, but it's not a time to be out and about. But you literally you could harm yourself. In some places in the world you could harm yourself. Mashallah, uh, nobody doubts. By Yusuf's uh, being an Arab, but look at him if he's in the direct sunlight in Mauritania for like 15 minutes, it'll kill him. It's like you'll bake like, like, uh, like meat. Uh, it's not going to be good. You know, for us, it was fine. I remember, I remember my, my uh, classmate, one of my classmates who was uh, very light skinned. Like he, he, he literally, I mean, these are pious people. They would just do it anyway, right? So you see like lesions on his, like, on his feet and things like that from how messed up his skin was. And finally, the Mashaikh are like, hey, why don't you just pray uh, Dhuhr in your tent? And it makes a difference that, 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 Rubul Qamad Ta'khir, right? The point is, is this is it affects people. It affects people uh, 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 in a way that's more than just empirically observable. There's some spiritual effect as well. There are the, 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 the hellfire is like a, a sink that sucks out Barakah from, uh, uh, from, from the creation. And so these things have an effect, people, people feel them. Someone might say, well, if it's not empirically observable, then why should I believe you? Well, look at the Masajid, mashallah, they're filled with corrupt people. You tell them anything under the sun, like completely known part of the deen. You say it in the, in the khutbah, three or four of them, okay, you guys have not been imams in the Masajid, or maybe you have, so you've experienced this, right? You say something very reasonable, three or four of them are going to come and fight you about it after every jamaah. That means 30 or 40 of them are thinking the same thing in their head. The rest of them are asleep. And like five or ten of them are pious people. They're like, you know what, this, you know, he said the haq, but I'm going to stay quiet because I don't want to deal with these other zombies. And, that, you know? and then they're like maybe a couple of like people who are like, no, it's right. Those same people, those same crazy three or four guys will argue with, with you. The elite of the elite of like the crazy like people in the masjid that you wonder why do you even come to Jummah if you don't like what's in the Quran and what's narrated by the Prophet so much if you don't like fiqh and like sharia and things like that so much so intensely that you every time have to say something about it right those same people are like praying in the first row in Ramadan those same people are like praying sunnahs even though just last week they're the ones who told you that reading your sunnahs is bid'ah and like weird stuff like that like you literally see those same people it has an effect on them right you see that, it has an effect on them. You see the entire ummah is like that. That just like, uh, you know, a, a month ago, nobody comes to the masjid. You see in some parts of the Muslim world, it's like everybody's like making hijra to the masjid at the time of the salat. And in America, it wears off on the day of Eid. And the Muslim world, literally months will pass by and the masajid will be. Noticeably be more packed than they were uh, uh, from before. Uh, because the places where they're more receptive to barakah, the barakah lasts longer and its uh, manifestation is more intense. The places where that receptivity is stunted by certain things, 
uh, that we talk about uh, frequently, so there's no need to mention them again, then it, it, its manifestation is less intense and it wears off faster as well. But this is what the, the meaning of this is, the sufidat the shayateen, that their, their ability to do whatever they do, whether or not it's completely, uh, uh, whether or not it's completely uh, stopped, is a discussion amongst the ulama, but it's at any rate, it's uh, uh, it's greatly curtailed, and Allah knows best. وعنه رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال سموا لرؤيته وأفتروا لرؤيته فإن غبي عليكم فأكملوا عدة شعبان ثلاثين متفق عليه وهذا لفظ البخاري وفي رواية مسلم فإن غم عليكم فسموا ثلاثين يوما. So the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said fast when you see it meaning when you see the new moon. And uh, break your fast when you see it, meaning the next new moon. فَإِنْ غُبِّيَ عَلَيْكُمْ Meaning, غُبِّيَ here, uh, meaning if you're not sure about it, if you're not, if you're not sure about it, then uh, complete uh, the count of Sha'ban as 30 days. It's narrated both by Bukhari and Muslim. And in the narration of Muslim, the first one is the narration of Bukhari. In the narration of Muslim, it says, instead of ghubbiya, it says, in ghumma alaykum. Meaning, if there is something between you, obstructing you from the, the view of the moon, uh, um, then uh, uh, fast uh, uh, 30 days. There's a long discussion about the moon sighting and all of that stuff that we've had that discussion from before. Inshallah, whoever wants to hear it again, if they haven't heard it, they can go into the SoundCloud and uh, listen uh, to the Ramadan. Uh, the Ramadan intensive is the first mas'ala mentioned in the Risal of Ibn Abi Zayd. So we talk about it at some length. Um, and so you can find that fiqhi discussion over there. Babul Judi wa fi'l al ma'ruf wa al ikthari min al khayr fi shahr Ramadan wa ziyadati min dhalika fi al ashr al awakhir. The chapter regarding generosity and uh, uh, doing good things. And uh, uh, so ma'roof is what those things that the Sharia commands to as an obligation and those things that it uh, uh, encourages people to do. Uh, uh, and to make plentiful uh, uh, good deeds in the month of Ramadan and to increase that even more in the last 10 days. عن ابن عن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود الناس وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان حين يلقاه جبريل وكان يلقاه جبريل يلقاه في كل ليلة من رمضان فيدارسه القرآن فلا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين يلقاه جبريل أجود بالخير من الريح المرسلة متفق عليه it says, Ibn Abbas, may Allah Ta'ala be pleased with him and his father. Uh, uh, he narrated that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the, uh, the most generous of people. In general, he was the most generous of people. Jude and Sakhawa is what? Sakhawa is the generosity of a person who when he has, he shares with people. And when he doesn't, he doesn't. Which is also a, a good quality. It's also a very good quality that when you have at least that you share with people. Jude is what? Even if you don't have anything to give to, you know, keep for yourself that a person gives uh, even then. So the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the one who had the most Jude from amongst the people. Uh, and, uh, and he was the most generous uh, in Ramadan. When he was met by Jibreel alayhi salam, the angel Gabriel alayhi salam. Here, wakana ajwadu, the, you know, grammatically this can be read kana ajwadu and kana ajwada. It's somewhat more uh, uh, intuitive to read it ajwada, except for it's narrated ajwadu by majority of the narrators. And so there's a long discussion Ibn Allan has. Uh, about the oju of the meaning it's a very slight meaning people who are not really interested in arabic grammar it's not going to mean a lot to them but the point is is that it's narrated that way uh he said that he was the most uh he was the most uh, uh generous 
when he was when he would uh, he was met by Jibril, and uh, um, uh, he was met by Jibril every night in Ramadan, and they would study the Quran between themselves. Meaning they would do what door that part of hifs that you guys like try to run away from. Who did it? The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa and Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam. So it's not like a waste of time or like just a chore. It was something that what used to actually excite him so much that he would remember the akhirah and he would be avid, the most avid to be even more generous um, when he gave. And his default state, his default state of generosity was what's described in the hadith of the Shamailas, uh, uh, that he was never asked for anything that he had except for he would give it. That he would accept for that, that, that he would give it. And so when they would revise the Quran between them, that at that time he would become so generous, he would be more generous, generous than the, that, that wind that uh, blows its coolness on all things. It doesn't discriminate between plants or animals or people. It just it, it, it blows its coolness and its breeze on all things. وعن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا دخل العشر العشر أحيا الليل وأيقظ أهله وشد المئزر متفق عليه سيد عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها narrates the mother of the believers uh, that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم when the last ten would enter he would give life to the night meaning he would wake up and uh, pray uh, at night and he would uh, wake his family as well, and he would uh, um, tighten his uh, his waist, uh, his waist, the garment around his waist, me tight, tighten his belt. And uh, the hadith was mentioned before, but here the meaning of wake his family up is that you know to encourage them also to read Quran and to pray, and to uh, uh, make du'a and to do acts of piety. Not to make an obscene, like ridiculous uh, suhoor and food or to throw suhoor parties or to wear themselves out doing things that are otherwise not really all that important or necessary or, or even appropriate during Ramadan. Someone might say, well, is it haram, Shaykh? Of course it's not haram, of course not. It's also not haram for you to go and like run seven miles, but I don't see anybody making a big protest about doing that, right? Um, even though it might be better for you, right? It might be better for you. Uh, and then shad al mizar is like you know, like you w- w- tighten your your belt in order to like keep your back straight. Also, some people say that this is a an allusion to toward uh, um, abstinence from sexual contact uh, in those nights. And Allah, Allah Taala knows best. باب النهي عن تقدم رمضان عن تقدم رمضان بصوم بعد نصف شعبان إلا لمن وصله بما قبله أو وافق عادة عادة له بأن كان عادته صوم الاثنين والخميس فوافقه. So chapter regarding the prohibition whether it be whether it be through a tahrim, like absolute prohibition, or uh, karaha, uh, through uh, being disliked. Uh, fasting after the 15th of Sha'ban until Ramadan, except for the person uh, 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 who was fasting the days from before it as well, or the person who their, it's their habit to fast, for example, Mondays and Thursdays uh, or the like. This is in particular mas'ala of, of, of the Shafi'i fiqh. I feel like it has more, uh, more emphasis in the Shafi'i school. Um, 
but we'll 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 read the hadith anyway and then we'll mention a couple of other things. And and Abi Hurairah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu an an-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala la yataqaddamanna ahadukum ramadana bi sawmi yawmin aw yawmayni illa an yakuna rajulan kana yasumu sawmahu falyasum dhalika al-yawm muttafaqun alayhi. Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said let not in, let not one of you with ta'kid let not one of you uh, with emphasis, he says, let not one of you fast or, or f- fast a day or two before Ramadan, uh, except for uh, um, a person who that's their habit to fast that day, those days anyway. And if it was their habit, then let them fast according to their habit. The idea here being what there are certain things that are like certain rulings are ta'abudi that they're just like just to hear and obey. And there's certain rulings that are that have like a reason for them. So this is from the second class. The 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 reason is what is that not everybody fares equally when it comes to fasting. Some people, as Ramadan goes on, it wears on them and they become weaker and weaker. And you know, a time may come in Ramadan where they become actually ill and are not able to fast anymore. And so, if you're one of those people, it's not good to it's not good to mess with uh, with with fasting. More than, uh, more than the days of Ramadan and the days of Ramadan, their fast receives priority. Whereas a person who's fairly certain that that's not the case, uh, for them in that case, there are a hadith in which it mentions that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam indeed, in fact, used to fast sometimes the entire month of Sha'ban, uh, and so that's a sunnah for them as well. And if you're unsure, don't do it. One Ibn Abbas radiAllahu taala anhuma. قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تسوم قبل رمضان سوم لرؤيته وأفطر لرؤيته فإن حالت دونه غيايات فأكمل ثلاثين يوما رواه الترمذي وقال حديث صحيح والغيايات والغياية عفوا بالغين المعجمة وبالياء المثنات من تحت المكررة وهي السحابة So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas رضي الله تعالى عنه He narrates that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله رضي الله عنهما He narrates that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said Don't fast before Ramadan Meaning in those days right before Ramadan And fast when you see it Meaning the, the new moon of Ramadan And Stop fasting when you see it, meaning the new moon of Sha'ban. And if clouds, if the clouds uh, come between you and between seeing it, then uh, finish 30 days of Ramadan. This reminds me of a, a, another bahath that I, I wanted to share from the, from one of the previous ahadith about what the meaning of the uh, 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 of the heal, of the word hilal is. That the hilal, according to, according to the uh, 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 lexicographers uh, uh, of the Arabic language, the word hilal we generally translate it as meaning uh, crescent, but it has itself not only a, a specific meaning but then on top of that like in almost all other non-basic aqidah matters um, that that meaning is then contested between uh, uh, the different lexicographers the point is is that uh, uh, the hilal is either from the uh, I missed that. The point is that the hilal is uh, um, the hilal is the moon uh, in a particular set of dates of the of the month. There it is. There we go. We some we uh, say says. Hilal, the most, 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 the most
في حالة مخصوصة قال الأزهري يسمى القمر هلالا لليلتين من أول الشهر وفي وفي ليلة ست وعشرين. So so he says that it's it's called a crescent from the second of the month because the first you can't see it. Or sorry, from the second of the from the second from the new moon, I should say. And then from from the sorry for the first two nights of the month, and then from the twenty sixth until whatever is after that. So there's a waxing crescent and a waning crescent. And then Farabi said. Uh, 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 Farabi gave the call which Johari, the lexicographer, the Farabi is not a lexicographer, but he gave this opinion, and Johari then, who is a lexicographer, uh, um, affirmed it that the Hilal is for the just the first three, just the first three nights of the uh, of the month, uh, and he only counted the waxing moon as the Hilal, not the waning one. Uh, 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 and then finally we uh, will read one more one more hadith to finish the bab inshallah one Abil Yaqdani Ammar ibn Yasir radiyallahu ta'ala anhum قال من صام اليوم الذي يشك فيه فقد عصى أبو القاسم صلى الله عليه وسلم رواه أبو داودة والترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح سيدنا عمار بن ياسر رضي الله تعالى عنهم وعنهما because he's a sahabi and the son of a sahabi both his father and his mother رضي الله تعالى عنهما their ترجمة we covered years ago when when he was first mentioned in the book رضي الله تعالى عنهم أجمعين he said that whoever fasts on the day of doubt uh, the day of doubt is what? The day where people think that the moon might be seen, but nobody actually saw it. Where they think the moon might have been seen, but nobody actually saw it. The person who fasts on that day of doubt, they've uh, disobeyed Abu Qasim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people of yaqeen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.